Welcome back to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network, where a panel of NBA quote-unquote experts who chat weekly about the most interesting developing stories, stats, and trends in basketball. Our starting point guard, we've got the main man from Shepard and dishing up dimes, Jack Brophy from Sports Confidential. At the two spot, the man from Melbourne, our fantasy team fanatic, Julian Balthazar. At the other two spot, we got Perth's mini basketball encyclopedia, the all-knowing Yuri Bilsic. And our third shooter guard, I once said he looked like Jamal Murray, he's a prolific writer and a Celtics homer, it's Mr. Tom Dev out of Melbourne. And me, I'm the only big on the roster, but these guys make it oh so easy for me. Your host and Queensland's own, Alexander J from the 5-Minute Sports Show, B-Ball Bites. Sit back and enjoy today's show, and don't forget to rate our podcast wherever you're listening. Let's go. Hey, Alexander J here. I've got with me Tom and Yuri. Tom, how are you, mate? How's your week been going? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I must admit, I've been enjoying the off-season a bit too much and haven't watched too much of the Summer League, but always happy to chat basketball. Wearing a Man U uh, jumper today, you're a bit of a, uh, a football fan? Uh, uh, I was back in back in the day, but uh, basketball has very much taken over soccer. Hey, Yuri, mate. What's been happening in your week? Uh, great to be on, Alex. Nothing too much, just that at the Edwards article piece that we spoke off air about as well that I put on my Substack account. So if anyone wants to have a read, because it's been a long time since the Timberwolves have had a real marquee franchise player to really build their team around and probably the first since, well, of course, Kevin Garnett. It's arguably the biggest signing since Garnett's six-year $126 million deal all the way back in 1997. So, and You'll have the details off. for us. How much is that contract yes. worth for Anthony Edwards? It's five years. How much? Yeah, five years, $260 million. So I mentioned that at the top of the article. So if anyone wants to have a read, just go on my Substack account and yeah, we'll just take a, a We'll scare. put a link to it in the, in the podcast notes. Um, look, I've been watching a lot of Summer League, guys, but Tom and Yuri, you guys haven't. So we're not going to talk about the Summer League today. I might <laughs> give you like the 30-second the overview. Um, Victor Wembanyama, really bad first game, great second game, and they shut him down. He's going to have a break before the season. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. for the Rockets, I think he averaged like 35 across two games. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He's great. Uh, there's two undefeated teams. There's two teams that haven't won anything. Everyone else is kind of in the middle. Raptors haven't been very good. <laughs> so that's about it for the Summer League recap. I've watched a lot of Summer League. It's been surprisingly good value. Um it's on KO, so if you're in Australia and you've got a KO subscription, you can watch about half of the games daily. But we're going to jump straight into some of the actual NBA news that's happened around the league this week. As we all know, the offseason gives us little gems and nuggets. It trickles through until the season goes. The NBA is a 12-month sport. And Tom, we'll start with you, I think. We've got some uh, news about a Celtics fan favorite that is no longer in Boston. Oh, I wouldn't call him a fan favorite. Oh, it's been generous, yeah. Especially, especially <laughs> after... Uh... After game uh, two against Miami, when he poked the bear that was Jimmy <laughs> Butler, but yes, Grant Williams was uh, signed and traded to traded to Dallas. Which, with the new CBA coming in and Jalen Brown's contract supposedly happening soon, no one's really yeah, quite sure what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but you think Celtics were never really going to be able to afford to keep all these guys uh, under contract, and so when the Mavs offered Grant Williams four years, fifty three million. I think the Celtics were happy to let him walk and not match the offer. Joe Mazzulla didn't really like him, didn't want to play him. And it was only sort of when he had to play him that he did play him. Um, and look, I really like this move for Dallas and Boston because, you know, like I said, I don't think he was worth being paid the money in Boston. But I think for Dallas, he's a perfect player alongside Luca. He's that 3 and D sort of guy, but he's a lot bigger. He can sort of play – he plays good defense. I mean, at Jimmy Butler stretch, he was actually playing good defense against him. Um, and – 
He's a good three-point shooter. I mean, he started his career 0 for 25 from three, and other Celtics players were calling him Ben Simmons. Uh, but then the last two seasons, he shot 40.3% from three, and he's 82.9% from the line, uh, unless it's, of course, it's against the Cavs to win the game, and then he misses them both. But, um, look, he's a solid defender. He called himself Batman because he's the Jokic stopper. He does an all right job. So that might, like, now he's going to see him several times throughout the season instead of just two. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. And yeah, he'll space the floor. I, I quite like this move for Dallas, and I think it's good value. Yuri, uh, thoughts on that move? I know the Mal. Uh, excuse me, I almost said the Dallas and the Mavericks at the same time. It came out the Devils. Uh, the Mavs have made uh, a number of interesting moves this offseason to pit around uh, the returning Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. Thoughts on Grant Williams on the Mavs or anything else the Mavs have done around the periphery? I agree with Tom as well about this signing for Dallas too. And just, I think the toughness as well. I think at times last season for the Mavericks, that was waning and it ultimately cost them that playoff spot because they were arguably in the thick of the race. And of course, last year's Western Conference was well documented how even the standings were from basically, what, fourth all the way down to 11th essentially. I think it was only about, what, four or five games separated the teams. So again, I think... For three-point shooting-wise, it's another string to the asset, but it's on the other side of the floor where he'll really grit it out and really bold it out in the Jason Kidd system where Kidd does preach defense a lot, even though you may see on the sidelines with Kidd and he doesn't show too much emotion. It's still a number one customary asset to his plans, really, because that's, of course, where Kidd was such an excellent defender during the course of his what. 19-year NBA career. So I think it fits perfectly. And also the spacing too. If they can, say for some lineup matchups, they can put, of course, Grant at the four and then throw Kleber at the five. And then maybe if they really want to stretch it out with, say, a bigger front court, they can have Grant at the three and then Kleber and then Dwight Powell just basically being a guy sitting underneath the rim and protecting the paint. So I think those are the real options. I think they have really sort of helped make the Mavericks a bit more versatile in a way coming into this season, which is only, what, another three months away to be exact, roughly around there. So I think, again, when you look at the whole picture from last season to now, it's definitely those adjustments and that big adjustment alone that's going to help them hopefully catapult to where they want to be in terms of maybe a top four team in the West. Again, that's still a question mark in itself, but it's one move that can hopefully at least go a long way for them. They've also brought in um, Aussie Dante Exum on a one-year minimum deal and Seth Curry on a two-year. I think it's $9 million. That second year for Seth Curry is not guaranteed. So if they have a bad year, they can have a bit of flexibility. Either of you got thoughts on either of those signings? I know Dante Exum's been overseas and and been lighting it up in uh, various leagues overseas. Seth Curry, good shooter, target on defense, as like Luka Doncic is. Uh, Tom, any thoughts on those two? Uh, Look, I really like Seth Curry as a player. Uh, He did kind of get lost in that uh, James Harden-Ben Simmons trade, but he was actually quite a valuable piece for the Nets before Durant left and Kyrie. It'll be interesting. Again, he's going to be like Grant Williams. He'll space the floor, and he's a great three-point shooter. So it's going to be Kyrie, Luca, and then a bunch of shooters. So whether that's going to work, I don't know, because on the defensive end, they're not looking so great, and it might have to be uh, you score 120 points, we'll score 125. But that's, that's the route they've gone down, and I'm interested to see if it will work. I don't think it will. I think Kyrie might be on a different team come season end, but <laughs> let's see. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it play out. That's for sure. Yuri, uh, any other news from this week you want to touch on? 
Yeah, there's one that was touched upon probably a day or two ago, Alex, and Darius Baisley, the former OKC, and he was also traded to the Phoenix Suns as well. He barely played much for the Suns, unfortunately, during the second half of last season. He signed a one-year deal to join the Brooklyn Nets. So I think the Nets squad now, Alex and Tom, is very reminiscent to the one of 2018-19, that real young, up-and-coming, fun side where I think majority of fans really enjoyed watching them in a way with D'Angelo Russell making his only all-star appearance that season. I think he averaged like 21 points and seven assists. And there's just a number of other exciting young players, Karis LeVert, who's no longer there now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So it's almost they're trying to throw back to that team from a few seasons ago. And of course, moving well past the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, well, experiment that had so much championship aspirations, but ultimately did fulfill the promise. So I think it's a good signing as well for the Nets, considering at the front court and especially the power forward spot, they are pretty thin in that department, especially in terms of athleticism and height. And I think Baisley will go some way to eradicating those issues, I think, for the Nets. And even pairing him alongside Nick Claxton would be, I think, a good fit. Maybe a spacing, maybe it's questionable at the best of times, but I think for that particular spot, especially where the East is situated with front absolutely beastly front court pairings, I think it can at least go some way. And I think, again, hopefully to at least revive his career a bit because I think we saw right at OKC, Alex, that he was displaying very good promising signs and then just for some whatever reason fell out of the rotation and got traded to Phoenix and could never really find his footing in the, in the Valley of the Sun. And now to get this opportunity with a team which – I think when we find out probably the first 10, 15 games or 20 games the next season, Alex, it's a bit hard to get a read on the Nets because, of course, I think they'll something like 10 games or 11 games over 500 when, of course, Durant and Irving left for Phoenix and Dallas mm-hmm. respectively and end up what, finishing 45 and 37 as sixth seed in the East. So I think it's still good enough to be a 500 team, though, this upcoming season, Alex. I'm just looking at that roster, and I think that's a really good question. So, Tom, I'm going to read out, unless you're an NBA sicko, you've got no idea what's happening in Brooklyn at the moment. I'm going to read out their roster. Um, It is skewing fairly young, and you tell me whether you think this team could make the playoffs. Let's say we'll make the cutoff at eight. Don't worry about the play-in. So, Darius Baisley, as we've spoken about, Mikhail Bridges, 26-year-old, Nick Claxton, 24, Noah Clanley, 19, Spencer Dinwiddie. There's a couple guys that are 30. So, Spencer Dinwiddie's 30, Dorian uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, excuse me, is 30, and Royce O'Neal is 30. Everyone else is skewing very young. So, David Duke Jr., who's been playing really well in the summer league, 23 years old. He might not have a spot on the nets. They seem to be thinking maybe to let him play a lot in the summer league to give him an opportunity somewhere else. Um, Raquan Gray, 24. Cam Johnson, 27. Deron Sharp, 21. Ben Simmons still there at 26. Dennis Smith Jr., 25. Edmund Sumner, 27. Cam Thomas, 21. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, 24. Is this a team that has enough young talent to get into the playoffs next season? I think potentially, but just when, when you read out the teams, I mean, you have to think these teams are locks of the playoffs in the Celtics, Knicks, 76ers, Cavs, Bucks, Heat, you'd have to think. So that's six right there. So now all of a sudden there's two spots and you've got teams like Atlanta, Orlando, the Nets, the Bulls, Pacers. Uh, it's going to be a squeeze. And that, the, the East play-in tournament could actually be quite good this year. Um, I do think they've got the potential to make the playoffs, but they'd have to be pretty healthy. And Bridges would have to play like he did after that trade for a whole entire season, which we're yet to see if he can. But look, they'll be a good watch. 
And you know what? The, the Nets fans kind of said Joe Sy, their owner, was more interested in having a team with good culture than a team with championship potential. And let's see what happens. But I do think this is going to be a more fun team to be around than last year. All right. I've got a couple other things that happened in the league this week. If you guys have one more item, perk up. But um, I don't know if you saw yesterday. It wasn't technically in the NBA. In the WNBA All-Star, Sabrina Ionescu from the New York Liberty set the all-time record in a three-point shooting contest in male or female competition. She had 37 points, so she only missed two shots, one of them being a money ball. Um, An unreal performance by Ionescu. I watched that live yesterday. Again, too much time on my hands watching WNBA All-Star stuff. Um, Fantastic shooting. We got a couple new rules around flopping um, and the second challenge, I think, um, that's been covered by a lot. So basically, uh, flopping is now a team tech. It's a one free throw and uh, team retains possession. And then the coaches get a second timeout to use a, um, excuse me, they get a, a second challenge to use if the first is successful, but they still have to have a timeout available. Uh, that comes into this season. Anything else uh, from the league you want to talk about, Yuri? Yeah, just want to touch on the flopping aspect, Alex, too. And I think that's a great idea from the league to introduce the technical foul for players who deliberately aim to flop. And I think 11 years ago, before the start of the 2012-13 season, the league decided to, of course, bring in that flopping rule. But it was only a $5,000 fine at the time. And Brooklyn Nets' Reggie Evans was the first ever player to be fined for flopping. I think it was during a Lakers game on November 20th as part of the Nets' trip out west. And I think it was late in the third quarter and Meta World Peace pushed him. I think to the side and he just sort of kept sprawling over to the right. And I think everyone within Staples Center, formerly as it was called at the time, knew that Evans had flopped. So I think the league probably maybe took a little bit too long to really come to this decision because we've seen a number of times, right, with charges and players sort of just lean themselves back ever so slightly. But of course, just moving forward now to the challenges and in terms of the coaches be able to retain their challenge after a successful one. That's a great move as well because I think we're seeing with cricket now, just a little bit on another sporting code, that it used to be three challenges before, didn't they reduce it down to two and they brought it back to three. So it's all along the same lines as well. And I think that's great because it would be a disservice, right, if a team saying the last, okay, maybe minute and they're down a possession, they get a challenge and successful and that's it. And they have no more challenges. And then there comes another, say, controversial call where a player gets hit on the arm, going for, say, mid-range jump shot. And the team, then the coach doesn't have that option because what they'll see, right, is a replay on the big screen where barely the defender makes contact with the shooter's elbow or arm or wrist. And that way, probably draw a bunch of furor about it. But I think having those two challenges is a great move from the league. But again, I think with the flopping side of things, this whole technical foul rule should have been brought in like four or five seasons ago. I should clarify, it's a team technical, so you can't get ejected on one of these flopping techs. Um, Tom, is there a similar challenge rule in the AFL? I know in rugby league, the standard is two, so it brings in line to Australian sports. Anything there in the AFL? Nah, there's no, no sort of challenge <laughs> in the AFL. It's too, it's too hard. The AFL is just too flowing. And Free so flowing, what happens... Yeah. What happens if, you know, you go down one end and all of a sudden you go, hey, I want to challenge down this end and you, where do you stop it? So, no, but look, on the flopping thing, what's going to be really interesting is how it's sort of brought in because I feel like the aim of it is to sort of stop those, you know, guys who set the screens and flail or they get a little contact and they go jumping. What's someone like Joel Embiid who basically flops on offense to get the free throws? Is, 
is that going to be brought in for him or is it only going to be on the defensive end? Because there was, there was a few Twitter videos going on where they're like, you know, oh, here comes the technical for flopping. Rest in peace, Joel Embiid's career. Um, and it's all the videos of him flopping on offense. And I just look at them and I think, I actually don't think the technical will be applied there because it would be so hard to sort of deem that he has flopped on these calls when there's been little to no contact. Yuri? Yeah, there was a regular season game, I think, Alex. Do you remember back to, I think, 13, 14, the Mavs and Trailblazers and Dallas got out to a massive, like, 30-point lead and Portland whittled them right back. And I think there was an instant during the fourth quarter where Dirk, I think, flopped. And Terry Stotts, of course, was for one of the former assistants at Dallas during that 2011 championship and it played a big part as well alongside Dirk. And he was just, like, mocking him. He was just, like, throwing his arms like that. And you should have seen the crowd, like, two Two Maverick supporters behind him did the same thing as well. It's the most funniest thing that I've ever seen. So that's something, just a little bit of a flashback in terms of a flopping aspect. But again, it's almost oh, it's just same with like, I know just a bunch of other different aspects, right? Because we've seen with free throws. Remember before, I think it was like the 2020-21 season, I think, or might have been the season after that in terms of, making it harder for guys who continuously draw fouls. Yeah, the James Harden of the world. Yeah, yeah. James Harden. And I think Steve Nash was talking about the time and he was just like, oh, Harden normally gets to line 13, 14 times, but now he's only getting six to seven free throws because the NBA has decided to really crack down on players who continuously draw themselves to the line, but also sort of flay their arms up as though they've been hacked. So, All righty, time to talk about Damian Lillard at you might have noticed the first 15 minutes of the show, no major news. We're all just stumbling through the trickles that come through. Uh, maybe a lot of that's being held up by Damian Lillard forcing or trying to force a trade out of Portland. Um, a very messy situation for Dame, who's beloved in Portland, has decided that after 10 years there, um, he wants to try being in the league somewhere else. Tom, we'll start with you. Where do you see Dame being day one of the season? This is just one of those problems with the league at the moment. We know where he's going. He's going to Miami. He's going to get there eventually. All the messages that are going out through his agent to all these different journalists and whatnot that if he gets traded to anywhere but Miami, he's going to throw a tantrum. He's not going to play. He's not going to show up, et cetera, et cetera. So really, if you're any team, you got to look at your assets and think, is it really worth taking the gamble on a guy who might not actually want to be here? And, you know, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo were talking on his podcast last week that the Timberwolves should just throw them cap and take Lillard. And if Lillard doesn't play, at least they get off the cap deal and they can reroute Lillard. But, again, I just I don't think it's worth a risk for any team outside of Miami to do this because if you throw away the assets and he doesn't play, then you look silly. And if you're a GM, you're probably getting fired if that's the case. Um, I think it'll still have to be a three-way trade, though. I don't think Hero's enough. I don't think... Portland have any interest in Hero given their guard depth. Uh, so they'll need to find a way to reroute Hero somewhere else and get something worth value that they're interested in. Um, but I do think Portland actually need to get rid of him as soon as possible and just give Scoot the keys from the get-go and just say, we are going to give you this team. We're going to give you the next five years to show us what you're made of. And we'll do it. And on the flip side of things, though, if he does go to Miami, you assume they're going to lose a lot of their depth. And so will Dame, Butler, and Bam as sort of your big three be enough? I mean, you think off the bench you'll have Lowry, Kevin Love, uh, Bryant, Josh Richardson, Caleb Martin. But, you know, against the Celtics, it was their rotation. And the fact that they could go so deep and just have all these guys shooting, like the lights out, is what really helped them. And so 
I don't know. This this Heat team's never really been like a we're going to be that one star. They're going to be that team system sort of thing. And sure, against the Bucks, it was just Jimmy Butler. But against the Knicks and the Celtics, it was a team sort of thing. And against the Nuggets, no one performed up to how they were in, during the first few rounds and hence why they lost in five. So I don't know. I, I'm interested to get your thoughts if you think Dame will actually make this Heat team favourite uh, in the East. Jeez, favourite in the East. Probably. If, if he's there day one, um, I think he'd be backing them. Yuri, any thoughts? Do the Bucks still outrank them? Uh, I think just ever so slightly. I think Alex as well. And also Celtics too. And also the 76ers, depending on whatever happens next with Harden. At this stage, there hasn't been too much more information to come out with James Harden and whether he decides to stay in the brotherly love city or not. So I think Miami would be definitely top four. That's what I'm going to say. And that's absolutely no disrespect to Knicks or the Cavs as well because they've got solid teams and they can easily finish fourth, fifth or sixth again just because how logged down the East is right. And you only have to look at the standings from last season just to show how close it was where basically almost the Knicks were only, what, three wins away from getting to 50 wins, which will be the first time since about 2012-13 when they won 54 out of the 82 regular season games. So it's not like before where the East was just from top from, say, minor Indiana winning 55 to 56 games and all the way down to the number eight seed, whoever it may have been most likely, should I say the Atlanta Hawks, at that time were only winning, what, 37, 38, 39 games. But it's far different now where it's much more close where teams are roughly, what, 42, 43 wins from the seventh to eighth to ninth to tenth seed. So, but again, with Miami and the whole, if it does sort of transpire through, which, of course, it's the hot seat number one destination that Lillard wants to go to, then it does catapult them right into top four of the East. Because last season, it was well documented about the injuries that they had with Butler missing time and Larry missing time. Of course, those sore, I think it was a sore left knee they had as well. And there was a period there where he was going to come back early than expected, then got delayed because the knee wouldn't heal. So I think when you look at their record from last season, which was 44 and 38, it's deceiving, I think, mm. to say the least. Because if you put all those combinations back and if they weren't, in, shall I say, in terms of injuries, if they weren't spending so much time on the sidelines, then Miami would have won 50-51 games and perhaps their seating would have been different. But again, it's just the way the East is situated. It's not like 10, 15 years ago where it was just an absolutely sort of vast differential between teams out on the top two teams out, say, fourth or fifth. Is there another team you see, Dame, more likely to end up than Miami? Because I have one for a mid-year trade, but if you go ahead and we'll get to mine later. I like the Spurs. I don't know why. Okay. For some reason, and that was rumoured about too. Just, mm. I don't think oh, it's sort of tough to say whether they'll be a bottom four in the eight, in the West again because – Oh, some, I don't think so at all. No, no, no I know the West no. is stacked, but I don't think they'll be no. bottom four at all, no. Yeah, and that's, that's the most intriguing part. If that does happen, it probably won't. But if you put – him and then he put, of course, Wemby there, and also with just his name's disappeared out of my head now. Keldon Johnson is the other one. Then it's a solid enough three, and both Keldon, well, I think Johnson's only what twenty three, and Wemby's of course like nineteen, and Lillard's what thirty three. I think just recently turned thirty three. So again, 
I think with the whole system at the Spurs that they have too with Greg Popovich, then you can't really discount them out of the picture if it does transpire that way. Utah, you can't see that happening because Danny Age has already talked about from basically his first day as the Jazz GM that they're just going to build around those the big three that we talked about before with Walker Kessler, Laurie Martin, and, and of course, the Taylor Hendricks with their ninth overall pick. It's really stretching one. the definition of a big three. Yeah. <laughs> Walker well, Kessler, the rookie. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows, hey? Who knows, uh, Alex? Yeah. Maybe it could be like with Stockton Malone. But to, to stick on the Spurs either. for a second, because that's really interesting. They have a gaping hole at point guard, shooting guard. So I've got their depth chart, uh, excuse me, the depth chart up from ESPN at the moment. Trey Jones, the starting point guard backed up by Devontae Graham, who's done nothing in the last few years, and Malachi Branham, who's hot and cold in the summer league. Shows some promise, but um, shooting guard Devin Vassell is okay. Again, backed up by Malachi Branham. So they don't have a lot of talent there. They've got Julian Champagny, who, uh, again, summer league is okay, but he's not a plays-every-game rotation player for the Spurs. Big gaping hole there. It's whether they've got the assets moving forward to make that trade. I have been playing the last... It feels like a few weeks trying to get a Damian Lillard trade to the Lakers. I think it's really interesting, not just because it's to the Lakers, but it might show if this starts to be rumored later in the year, the attitude of the Lakers front office. Um, LeBron James only signed for this year. He's a free agent moving forward. Um, Is this their last chance to the dice? The only way this works, though, is if they hold it off until closer to the trade deadline um, because there's a couple of players in here that can't be traded as they've just been signed. So the Lakers would get Damian Lillard in this hypothetical trade and the Blazers would get Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, D'Angelo Russell, Jalen hood Shafino, the rookie who's just drafted. They get the 2029 first round pick and two pick swaps in 28 and 30. So I think that's probably enough on the board for... Portland to say yes if nothing's happened by then. I just don't know whether the Lakers go, mm, our season's not going so well. We need to push all our chips in now to bring one more before Bron goes plays with his kid next year in wherever he's drafted. Uh, Tom, thoughts on that one? Is it am I am I crazy? Am I a pie in the sky? Yeah, look, it's interesting. And those future Lakers picks because no one really knows LeBron where he's going to go. Davis, you know who knows? They're, they're they're interesting, but whether or not. They're interesting enough for Dame. I don't know. Again, I just I feel like if there's going to be a trade done, it's going to be done before the season starts, just to get him out. the The only other team, and, and you're gonna you're gonna think I'm a bit of a homer here. But the only <laughs> other team I can see trading for him is Boston, and that's simply because these this Jalen Brown contract has still not been signed. Yeah, and it's very peculiar, isn't it? it? Well, it's very odd because if if the Celtics give him the full max, he becomes the highest paid player ever in the history of the NBA for the moment. Obviously, when the next lot of players eligible for that next super max come in, they'll overtake him. But for one year, he will be the highest paid player. And he hasn't signed it yet. It hasn't been announced. We saw Edwards and Halliburton and Bain and all them sign their extensions the moment they're eligible. Maybe things aren't going that right. Who knows? And maybe Boston just, you know, walks away from negotiations and goes, all right, screw it. We'll go Brown, maybe Peyton Pritchard or whoever else, a few first round, a first round pick maybe, and we'll give you off to Dame. And Boston just take on Dame because he's at least under contract and he's not at risk of walking away. Personally, I want Brown. I don't I don't want to see Brown play for anyone else. But that's the only way. Otherwise, I think it's just Miami. I, I think as as you know, much as Lakers fans are probably already working up a Damian Lillard Photoshop, I I don't think <laughs> I don't think Portland want to trade him to, to LA. Tom, we might stick with you as we move into the B block for our most interesting teams of the offseason so far. Let me guess, did you have the Boston Celtics? 
I did. I did. <laughs> it's look, it's interesting one because they traded smart, you know, the heart and soul. I think now that we're at quite a few weeks removed from that, I think everyone's sort of gone, you know what? We loved him, but he wasn't that great last season. He's been very injury prone. And I think it was the time to move on from him. We bring in Porzingis, who's sort of the first time in a while that they've had a solid post-up player. I mean, Al Horford hasn't really been willing to score in the post in the last few years. I mean, last season, he was exclusively either a three-point shooter or nothing. He wasn't really scoring in any other way. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of dynamics dynamic works. I mean, Tatum and, and Porzingis will have a nice little pick-and-roll game. I, I think what will be an underrated aspect 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 is the pick and pop game as Porzingis can have that nice little, you know, mid range shot, but it'll also be a threat at the rim and his rim protection, you know, being seven foot three or whatever he is, of course, he's going to be good at that. Just this team's very injury prone, uh, which concerns me. And it could be the last season together for this group if it doesn't go well, because then, you know, everyone was saying blow up Tatum and Brown a year and a half ago, and then they turned it around, made the finals. And then it was, oh, Tatum and Brown are going to be together for a decade now. But now, Brown hasn't signed that contract. They had another, you know, disappointing playoff flame out. Who knows? I feel like it's either going to go really well and the Celtics are going to be back top two seed or it's going to blow up and it's going to be really bad and Missoula is going to be fired halfway through the year and it's just going to be a shit show and we'll see what happens. But I don't know. They're going to be one to watch because Taylor and Brown have gotten better every year they've been in the league. They've got this new, you know, piece in pausing us. Horford's back. Rob Williams is supposed to be healthy. Derek White had a better year last year. Now he's got the keys to run this offense as a point guard. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm a homer, but I'm interested to get your thoughts on it. I wholeheartedly agree. I've got nothing more to say. You've hit everything I was thinking of. Fury, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think likewise too, Alex and Tom. And just I think the last, whatever it's been since probably about 2017 when they've been in contention for in terms of reaching really deep into – not just only the conference finals, but the NBA finals too. And I think I think that alone, I think that's the real driving factor, I think, for trying to make the trade as well to get Paul Zingas. Because I think when you look at the Celtics, right, and when he minus both Horford and Robert Williams, then where's the next line of big man depth? Of course, they've tried Luke Cornet different times. And we won't mention, of course, the, what the starfish close out, jump up in the air, defense or whatever it is. But he, he was serviceable at times as well, but they needed that extra grunt of shot-blocking power. And that's where, of course, Paul Zingas comes into effect. And who knows? Again, that could make a difference. And they had to somehow pull the trigger on that part. And, of course, losing Smart, that was the biggest surprise, right, when hearing the news that Smart was part of that three-team deal and thinking, wow, after – nine years of extreme loyalty to the Celtics where he was arguably the heart and soul player of the side, always gave his in, dived for loose balls, scrapped against the opposition's best point guard, shooting guard, could play the small four guards, and even though he'd be giving four, three, four inches in size, he'd never back down because his frame, right? His frame gave him that advantage to not allow opponents to get on top of him in the physical post-up matchup. So it's really think, interesting. Yeah. That, like I think we're not obviously breaking mold here saying that that kind of position with the Celtics was redundant with all the ball handling they had and all the 
I think it's really interesting that they've kept the sixth man of the year in Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who was rookie of the year once, let alone he was the only guy in that rookie class who wasn't injured. But sixth man of the year last year, solid for the Celtics, has some injury cloud over him that we it's not quantifiable at the moment. That's a wild card coming into the season. He could take a further leap in growth with an extra season, an extra off season. Uh, Tom, just five seconds on Malcolm Brogdon. Do you think he's going to have a good season or do you think the injury stuff is really going to plague him? I don't know. So the report with the Clippers was they weren't so concerned with the injury. They were concerned that they didn't have enough time to assess the injury. So had they maybe had more time, maybe that trade does go through. So we don't actually know the extent. So I'm just going to wait and see with that injury. But those last three games with Miami, I think he was horrendous. I don't even think you can see the floor in game seven. So let's see what happens. Yeah, he he was pretty clearly hampered. Yuri, um, what's your most interesting team in the offseason so far? Yeah, it's sort of circulated and we talked about in the last one of it's been 15 to 20 episodes of the show and I think it's more the Minnesota Timberwolves and of course I did write the Anthony Edwards piece and there was a lot of intriguing curiosity about of course the meshing with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert going into last season and whether the Timberwolves would elevate themselves into being a top four seed in the West and winning between 48 to 50 guys which was predicted around for them to get between and of course they didn't exceed those expectations they won 42 out of 82 so 42 and 40 and I think what we saw from last season right of course Ant's ascent into basically being a superstar now he's the number one guy the keys to the Twin Cities franchise just lamb to drive to Ferrari around Minneapolis because he's the guy man now he's shown on so many occasions when it comes to clutch time he can deliver and I think the biggest part as well I wrote about my piece on Anthony Edwards's re-signing while it's so important as well. It's the defensive aspect. And I think going into the draft year that he was drafted, of course, number one overall in 2020, that there was a bit of a knocker in terms of at times he would switch off defensively. But we saw this past season, right, when he locks down, he is so difficult to get by. And again, the regular season finale game against the Pelicans, told the whole story he's suffocating defense on Brandon Ingram I think they there's a YouTube clip which goes for about a minute and 50 and there was about nine to ten defensive possessions where he just locked down on Ingram and I think there was a couple of air balls there in the process and most of them went off the back rim I think of Ingram's shots and of course they're all so supremely well contested by Edwards so I think the other part as well for the Timbles is bringing back Nas Reid, I think, on that three-year $42 million deal. And that was a major loss, especially in that first round against Denver where we take away Gobert and Towns. Both of them were in foul trouble and they will way for thin mm. in the front court. And I think Luca Garza didn't play any minutes whatsoever. So that's where Reid, getting Reid back is an absolutely must and absolute must they did because there were a few other teams that were interested in acquiring Nas Reid's services. And Jalen Noel's the other one too, Alex. And he was... He's a very solid sixth man player as well. And if he does stay injury free, because he did have times, I think it was, he had sore knees, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And that kept him on the sidelines for some periods of time. But when he's healthy and stroking it out, lights, lights out, then he's hard to stop. When he put him and Reed as that second core, second unit group of guys in, it will help a lot. And Shake Milton signing as well, too. I think Alex Hill's sort of. Yeah, underrated. Out sporadically. Yeah. yeah, sporadically, the best of times at Philly. So I think for extra three-point shooting, that'll help. And again, I've sort of been curious about this team, Alex, since pro Jimmy Butler, when he's when he was part of the Zach Levine deal, and of course, pick seven, which ended up being Laurie Markin, and 
on draft night of 2017 because we saw before, right, there was so much expectation on them. They were top three seed essentially, I think, by about late February. And then, of course, Butler does his meniscus and Macy doesn't return until, I think, three games left in the regular season where Minnesota's fighting for their playoff lives alongside the Denver Nuggets for that eighth and final playoff spot. But I think what we've seen probably where the franchise wants to go is they've they've somehow got to just keep their eggs in one basket because no one's going to want to trade for Rudy Gobert, especially with that hefty five-year, $205 million deal too. So they've just got to allow it time to sort of sync together. And that may be a bit hard to process for Timberwolves fans who haven't seen their team win a playoff series since, what, 2004. And that was the last time they actually made the one and only conference finals period appearance in their franchise history. So, again, Carl Anthony Towns spoke about it, Alex, too, and it's not the first time that he's played at the power forward spot. He played it at various times when he was at Kentucky. So, he is just trying to find that right synergy. And, of course, Mike Conley bringing him across was an absolutely gold gem. That's why I believe as well, because he's arguably the oldest player on their team. He's, what, 35, if I'm not mistaken? So, that's got to help considerably amount a lot, too. So, Again, I think all the pieces there, it's just the injuries and that inconsistency patch as well, which they had, I think, far too often last season. But if they get it all together, because Chris Finch is a solid coach, there's no doubt about that way he does both defensively and offensively too. And I think the other part as well, they brought in Corliss Williamson as one of the new assistants as part of the Timberwolves oh, coaching staff. I was yeah. going to say, who? <laughs> That's yeah, do you I remember him? Big nasty that, after... No, I don't. That's how you know oh. we've gone too far into the depth chart when you start yeah. talking about the assistant coaches I've never heard of before. <laughs> what was that name again one time, Yuri? Corliss Williamson. So he played at U- University of Arkansas. He was sixth man year in 2002 with the Detroit Pistons and was one of the bigger power forwards as well. So, No, a, yeah, bit, a, a tad player. before my time, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, moving on to the final segment of today, we're going to talk about the most exciting things we want to see next season. Um, Tom, a little insight, cheating everyone at home, I've got our doc open for today and I can see you've put down Zion. Um, that's exactly where my mind is going because he's been in the media a bit this week um, about his struggle with weight and eating. Uh, talk to me about Zion. I'm ready for Zion to be good. I'm ready for him and Ingram to be the best one-two pairing in the league. I'm so ready. Yeah, well, Zion, uh, as most people know him, but I had dinner during the week with a couple of non-basketball friends and, and, and they asked me, who's that tweet guy who, who keeps getting up in, in the news? So that's who I think I'm going to start calling him. Um, but look, he's he's heard the slander, he's heard the trade rumours, he's been on Twitter. Um, he's got to go out now and prove everyone wrong. You know, he's going to hopefully have a massive off-season. Hopefully he's in the process of that now, assuming he can actually play basketball. Uh, actually, no. uh, just a small interjection. Um, his teammate Larry Nance was on the Low Post podcast yesterday and said he is doing skills based stuff at the moment in training. So it's right. not like he's he's withholding. He's in the middle of training. Yeah, and you know, so look, hopefully he gets in the best shape of his life and back to what he was like a Duke and mm. is just a force on both ends. He was an All Star starter last year, so let's not pretend like he hasn't shown that he can do it in the league. He has. He just hasn't shown he can stay healthy. Um, I don't know. My biggest issue is if he doesn't stay healthy, I could see him getting traded. Yeah, I I really think that if it's not going well, the Pels will just cut their losses halfway through the year and go, we're a real chance to make the playoffs if we can find something that will take the court. Because Ingram was actually really good in that back half of the year. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic. And although we haven't seen him 
do it in the playoffs. I believe that with that frame and that size and this shot, he's, you know, not Kevin Durant, but he's probably maybe one and a half levels below that. And so why waste his prime? And if you keep wasting his prime, he's probably going to want to get out. So if Zion can't stay on the court, I expect Pels to consider trading him. They've got a really interesting lineup in New Orleans. I'll read out the um, roster from ESPN. Zion Williamson, obviously. Jonas Valanciunas. Um, Deron Seabrun, who's been doing okay in the Summer League. Larry Nance Jr., um, 30. Sneaky 30-year-old guy. Um, I, I rate him, but I didn't realize he was 30. <laughs> Trey Murphy the third, CJ Collum, uh, EJ Liddell, and Najee Marshall. Neither too much from those two guys. Um, Herb Jones, great. Brendan Ingram. Great. Dyson Daniels, the Aussie, really good, 20 years old, improving, and Jose Alvarado. So they've got lots of interesting tools, particularly around the forward court with Brandon Ingram played the five for some very small stretches last year, and then they can move to Zion Williamson at the five or Jonas Valanciunas at the five. Larry Nance has played five. All of them got some flexibility as well. Yuri, I'm guessing Zion isn't your most exciting thing you want to see next season, but if it is, let's just keep talking about the Pels. I've sort of differed in a little bit of a different direction, Alex, and it's more the Bradley Beal fit, I think, at Phoenix as well. So yeah. I think that's also been well talked about too. But we haven't seen over the course of Bills, what, since he was drafted in 2012, that he's been a third option. So this is completely new ground for him because we've seen him being the second option. I think probably for the, I was trying to remember, probably until midway through the 2017-18 season when Wall was out for exactly two months with that meniscus knee surgery and Bill took over as the Wizards' number one offensive mantle option and absolutely did it to a T, right? And his numbers skyrocketed completely, especially at 2018-19 season where at various times where I think the Wizards just completely flopped as a whole because there was so much hope on them winning 50 games for the first time since about 1978, which they did not. They only won 32 games and he was just completely balling out with averages of 30 or 35 points per game. So I think with the whole fit with I think Booker's most likely going to play point guard now. We saw it out again at various stages too. But I think with Brad and I think for whatever documenting reason during his time at the Wizards where him and Wall didn't get along, well, that's completely rubbish in a way too. And that tweet from Martian Gortat about everyone eats, which most I think took as a bit of a slander hit at John Wall, but that wasn't true as well. So again, I think where it all goes and I think – with Bill just being the unselfish guy that he is. And, of course, his numbers last season were – they weren't the best in a way too. I think – Took a little like bit of a third, step back. Yeah. yeah. Missed some like games. Third, Chris Stubbs-Porzingis, yeah. Bradley um, – excuse me, Kyle Kuzma both had good years yeah, in the Wizards so, um, uniform. So, yeah, it, it, I'm with you. I'm very excited to see the Suns players. Um, it'll be interesting because Bill, again, hasn't shot particularly well in two years. Some of that you could say he hasn't really cared. He's been in Washington doing nothing. Um very exciting stuff. I mean, there's only one ball too. Devin Booker, before all these moves, was my dark horse MVP pick, and he's got to share a ball with Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and nobody else in the lineup is really important. <laughs> I'll glaze over DeAndre Aiden. <laughs> oh, do you think he'll still be there, Alex? Do yeah, they would. Think- I think they would have moved him by now. I think so. Mm. Um, they don't have a lot of other size on the roster, so maybe they'll just see how it goes, see what they can get out of him. Um, Considering as well, Houston and Jock Landau came to our four-year, $32 million agreement. So yeah. that just eliminated more size off the Phoenix front court depth. So, yeah, I think just they had to retain him in a way too. And I think, yeah, again, 
with Coach Frank Vogel too, Alex, and this is going to be a real fascinating part. Can you sort of mould him into what Roy Hibbert was exceptionally good at? Because Aiton has all the tools again to be a great shot blocker, which we've seen at times, but Hibbert did consistently until, what, Andrew Bynum came along and Hibbert's confidence completely completely diminished. So, again, that's going to be a real curious part to how Frank probably does approach with eight in terms of the defensive side because I think at times as well, we saw during that semi-final series in the Western Conference against Denver where he was sort of, at times, he wasn't really watching Jokic. He was sort of out of place and didn't quite pay attention. And at times where he was just physically bullied on the block, which, again, I think Jokic does it to every single opposition centre, but I think just too many times that happened and eventually, of course, his minutes went down alongside it. Tom, any thoughts on the Suns before we wrap up? Yeah, look, they're going to be really interesting. Hopefully, this is the year we get a fully healthy Durant. We haven't had that in a while, but all of his injuries have sort of just been freak accidents, incidents. So it's not like it's been the same recurring injury. Uh, Booker, I feel like he's probably going to go to another level, like what we saw in the playoffs, but for a whole season. So I agree. He might actually be in the MVP conversations because Durant might take a little bit of a step back during the regular season. I think Aiton might actually be a lot better than what we're giving him credit for because I think now that Chris Paul is not really going to be looking down on him and he's going to have a coach who's going to have a bit more faith in him than what Monty Williams did, I think maybe, you know, I'm not predicting he'll be an, an all-star, but I think he'll be a very handy piece uh, in this. And I, I think maybe instead of just a big three, it'll be a big 3.5, maybe 3.25. Um <laughs> I don't know, but look, I, I, you know, I, I did a little projection for the Western Conference, and I do actually think the Suns are going to be second uh, seed if if they stay healthy, just because I think everyone else is a bit uncertain. But I, I found it really hard to p- predict the standings because, like, in my bottom five, I had Portland, Houston, Utah, Spurs, Timberwolves, but Spurs and Timberwolves could easily make the top six, and I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. The, the other three are probably going to finish at the bottom, but the rest. And then you go through the list, anyone can really make that those those six guaranteed playoff spots. So I think, I, I think you know, the NBA brought in the in-season tournament to make the regular season more exciting. But I think it's going to be really exciting just because all of these teams are going to be competing for spots and really anyone can finish anywhere. Yuri, last thought. Yeah, and also the playing tournament too as well, why the NBA introduced it three years ago was to eliminate teams tanking. So I think that's where it just draws more incentive, right, for teams who, say, 11th in the say eleventh in the East or West are only a game behind and teams that, say, ninth or 10th are only two games behind for six. Doesn't that just draw more fuel to the fire in a way for teams to fight out and scrap in the last 20 or 25 games, unlike seasons before where teams will just be like, oh, well, we're five, six games out. There's only 15 games and we lost the season series, say, 3-1 and another team has a tiebreaker over us. So we'll just fall over and lose our remaining 10 games and get a top five draft pick if it all pans out that way. So that's where I think the league has done a far better job in terms of incentivizing that teams don't just automatically just let go of the tail and drop it down and focus on next season. Because if they were, say, what, a decade ago, I think Portland was one of those teams in 2012-13 and they were right in the hunt of the Western Conference at one stage. I think it was only like 20, 20 or 25 games left of the season and they lost their final, I think it was 15 games or something like that. 
I think they finished like 33 and 49. They didn't win too many, too many more down the stretch. And I think that's where so many of those examples come from, where teams, of course, yes, injuries are going to hit, but at the same time as well, when you are out of the picture and don't have much chance of making, say, a 7th or 8th seed, where you just automatically focus ahead next season. But that's completely been eradicated now, and I think that's a good thing. Definitely looking forward to seeing what happens over the next few weeks. couple dominoes still to fall in the NBA offseason before we get back to training camps in September. Yuri, I think you said three months into NBA action. I can't believe that because the NBA is a 12-month sport. We all know that. There's stuff to talk about every week, and you can join us here back next time, same time this week, I should say, as we talk about everything that's happened in the NBA this week. Tom, Yuri, as always, thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you, Alex. Yes, I'm sure I'll talk to you guys. before. Yeah, we always talk before each episode. Um, so if Dame drops, maybe emergency podcast on the way. But thanks again, guys. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Alex.